Father, we just thank you for Jesus and we commit ourselves into your hands this morning and we ask, O oh God, that you would meet with us and speak directly into our hearts. In the name of Jesus. Amen. You know that we've come to uh, the cross this morning and we're going to uh, look at the end of John chapter 18 and John chapter 19. John wrote this gospel and I suppose it really just struck me afresh that uh, he tells us why he wrote this gospel. Um, and he tells us in John 20 verse 21, he says, These things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. That's the reason why John wrote his gospel, that you and I would believe, that we would put all our dependence on, that we would rest on, that we would fully trust and believe that Jesus is who he says he is and that he did all that he said he would do and that he keeps it. God keeps his word, that Jesus was God in flesh and God keeps his word. And, and right at the beginning of John's gospel, remember John the Baptist pointed out, and do you remember he, he pointed Jesus out one day and he said, look, behold, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I love that word, behold. You know, William, and most of you know William has Down syndrome and his speech is very limited. But over this last few years, we notice his speech improving and he, he sometimes adds words that we hadn't heard before. And one of those words that he has been saying over recent times has been, look, look. And he's so excited and so intense and it's exactly the same word, word that John the Baptist used. Look, look and see, behold, take a good look at. And this morning, that's what I'm praying for, that you and I will get another look at Jesus and see how much he loves us and see what he has done for us. And so we're going to go to John 18, verse 28, and we're going to start off where we left off last, last time. John 18, verse 28, and it says that, they led Jesus from Caiaphas to the Praetorium, and it was early morning, but they themselves, that's the, the Jewish leaders, did not go into the Praetorium, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. They wouldn't go into the building that Pilate was in, because Pilate was a Roman, and these leaders, Jewish leaders, wanted to keep themselves ritually pure. They wanted to keep the law. They didn't mind uh, the, the badness they were doing, but they, they wanted to keep up the religious front and how much that is like so many today. And Pilate therefore went out to them and, and he said, what accusation do you bring against this man? They answered and said to him, if he were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him to you. This is Jesus, the son of God. They're talking about an evildoer. Then Pilate said to them, you take him and judge him according to your law. Therefore the Jews said to Pilate, it's not lawful for us to put anyone to death. That the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spoke, signifying what death he would die. So what happened here? Okay, they'd led Jesus from the house of, the, of Caiaphas, the high priest. They'd brought him up to this place called the Praetorium, or some other Bibles or some other translations refer to it as Pilate's Judgment Hall. At that time, it was known as the Fortress of Antonio. You can go to the the, the site of Fortress Antonio. You can they've dug down to the original pavement, and you can go there today, and you can see the area that they brought Jesus to, and they brought him to Pilate. And of course, because the Jews had no political power, remember the Romans were in charge. The Romans were in Jerusalem, and the Jews couldn't condemn a man to death, but the Romans could, and that's why these Jewish leaders had to bring Jesus to the Romans. And if the Jews were going to, to uh, stone Jesus, or they're going to kill Jesus, you know, in the natural, they probably would have stoned him. But because the Romans were in charge, the, the means of death was going to be crucifixion. And that's what this verse means, it's, it's old-fashioned language, verse 32, that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, the word of Jesus from the Old Testament might be fulfilled, fulfilled uh, saying what 
kind of death Jesus was going to die. You see, in the Old Testament, the, the prophets had written hundreds of years before describing the kind of death that Jesus, the Messiah, would die. I find this absolutely incredible that when Psalm 22 was written hundreds of years before, that the Jewish prophets never heard tell of or didn't know anything about crucifixion. And yet in Psalm 22, the, the, the prophet writes a complete description of, of death by crucifixion. Here's what he says in, in Psalm 22, verses 14 to 16, where he said, Prophetically speaking of Jesus, I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look and stare at me. That's a, a graphic description of death by crucifixion, where hands were pierced and his feet were pierced. This was unheard of uh, all those hundreds of years before. And yet here, the Jewish leaders are coming and asking Pilate to, to give them the okay that they would crucify Jesus. And they didn't even realize that they were fulfilling the Old Testament prophecies. You see, our title for today is that God keeps his word. And I want to tell you that God's word will come to pass. And we're going to see today how, in many, how many different ways that God's prophetic word was being fulfilled. And these Roman soldiers and these Jewish leaders didn't understand, didn't realize that they were simply fulfilling God's word. We can take God's word for sure. We can depend upon it. But let's continue with the narrative because uh, they bring him to Pilate. And as we start to read at verse 33, it says, Pilate entered the Praetorium again, or the, the fortress of Antonio, and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Are you speaking for yourself about this? Or did others tell you this concerning me? And Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Can you see this Roman leader who's in charge in, in, the, in the country? And he's saying, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? And here's the answer that Jesus gave. My kingdom is not of this world. Some of your translations might say, not of this realm. Jesus came from another realm. He came from another world. Jesus said, if my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? And Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews, and Pilate said to the Jews, I find no fault in him at all. I have written in your notes a, a quote that I got from the workingpreacher.org Luther Seminary. Here's what they say. Though Pilate asks Jesus whether he is a king, Jesus speaks of a kingdom, a place where God reigns, a community of those who are of God. Rather than threatening Rome, Jesus subtly invites Peter, Pilate to enter this place. Jesus invites Pilate to receive his testimony and be part of the truth. But Pilate dismisses Jesus' offer with the question, what is truth? Little did Peter know, did, I keep saying Peter, little did Pilate know, but Jesus himself was the way, the truth, and the life. What is truth? You know, Jesus had come from another realm, and he had come, he had come to, with one purpose in mind, to go to the cross, to die for your sins and for mine, so that he could set up his kingdom 
upon this earth, that we could reign with him in his kingdom, that we could be part of his kingdom. And so when Pilate, a Roman man who doesn't know the scriptures, he's asking Jesus, are you a king? And Jesus begins to speak about his kingdom. And just as this quote says here, really Jesus is sharing with Pilate that there's a kingdom that he could be part of. And if he would only hear the truth that he could be part of that. But just like so many today, Pilate did not take this on board. Isn't it interesting how nowadays truth is something that people talk about and laugh about and say, well, what is truth? Everything's relative. Who, who can speak about truth nowadays? It depends what, what way you think about things. It depends on your circumstances. Truth has become a relative thing. But here is the truth that Jesus Christ said that he was the way and the truth and the life. And nobody comes to him and nobody can enter into his kingdom and be part of his kingdom unless they have accepted that he is the truth and they've come in to know him as their saviour and Lord. And so for the first time, uh, Pilate is recorded to have said to these Jewish leaders that he found no fault in him. It's very interesting that uh, after this, we, it's not recorded in John's Gospel, but if you look to, if, you, if, we, if we took the time, we'll not take the time, but when you get home, if you turn over to Luke chapter 23, you'll see that at this point, because Pilate really had found nothing, not, no fault in him, could find no reason why this man should be condemned to die, Pilate decided he would shift him over to Herod, who was also happened to be in Jerusalem on that particular weekend, and he shuffled him over to Herod, and, and Jesus wouldn't even speak to him. Herod was a king, and we haven't time to go into that whole situation, but it was Herod who had killed John the Baptist the forerunner of Jesus, and Jesus didn't speak a word to Herod. And, and so Herod returned him to Pilate. And it's at this point that Pilate is uh, suggesting that maybe they could release Jesus. And he goes to the people, and he, he let's just read on, verse 39. Uh, Pilate said, you have a custom that I should release someone to you at the Passover. Do you therefore want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Then they all cried again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a robber. It tells us in Matthew's Gospel that he wasn't only a robber, but that he was a revolutionist and a murderer. You see, they wanted, really, the Jewish people wanted a revolutionist. That's what they wanted. They wanted Jesus to be a man who was going to revolutionize, going to cause a revolution and fight against the, 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 the Romans. That was the kind of Messiah that they wanted. They didn't figure on having a Messiah that was going to die on the cross. And so they're shouting, not this man, but we want Barabbas. You know, it's so sad to think that the Jewish people with all their history, with all the prophecies about their Messiah, that they're not seeing him, they're not recognizing him, and they want to kill him. And of course, all of this had been, um, had been uh, predicted in the, in the prophecies of the Old Testament. And, and Pilate had said, I find no fault in him. And of course, Pilate was going to find no fault in him because he was the perfect, spotless, sinless, Lamb of God, the one that was spoken about, the one that was, was, was talked about even in Exodus, whenever, do you remember the, the, the Passover first began in Exodus when the Jewish people were held in bondage, in slavery in Exodus, and how God told them to, to get a lamb and to make sure the lamb was spotless and to kill the lamb and put the blood on the doorpost and, and so that they would be able to remember all the plagues and, and how because of the Passover lamb the, that, that Pharaoh let the Jewish people go and they were set free because of the Passover lamb. That lamb in Exodus, it's also referred to in Numbers, I've given you the references there. It says it had to be without blemish. It had to be pure. It had to be a lamb. It says, your, Exodus 12 and 5, your lamb shall be without blemish. Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of the picture. 
I love the way God gives like a storybook picture in the Old Testament and then Jesus fulfills that picture and he has come to be not an animal that's going to be killed for sin, to take the sin of, of individuals and to pay a price for sin, but he's going to come to give his own blood. He's going to be the Lamb of God, the fulfillment of that picture in Exodus chapter 12. And so you see that 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 Jesus is coming to fulfill, he's coming to fulfill the, the scriptures. God keeps his word. God keeps his prophetic word. And thinking that he had found this legal loophole to, rece- to release Jesus, he reminds the Jews that they can, that they can release uh, that, they can, that they can release Jesus because of their custom and they say no we will not Matthew 27 says that the crowd shouted and screamed we will not have this man to rule over us you know when you look around the world today and you see how many people refuse to believe in Jesus Christ it's still the same cry isn't it people will turn to other religions they'll turn to all kinds of things but they they refuse so many people refuse they say we will not have this man to rule over us this man was the son of God this man was God in flesh come to a world that needed to be saved and so at this point, verse chapter 19, John's Gospel, chapter 19, we're going to start the, the process. It says in verse 1, So then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him, and the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put on him a purple robe. Then they said, Hail, King of the Jews, and they struck him with their hands. You know, that verse 1 just has stops me in my tracks. Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. You see, scourging was enough to kill a man. We have no understanding as to what scourging actually meant. Uh, I, I, I would love that I could explain this to you, but you know, if I, I read some stuff this week and I couldn't read it to you because I think you would be you'd be so horrified. But I do want to say a few things about this scourging process. It was also known as the cat of nine tails. It, 40 stripes was the maximum, uh, but it was, you, you broke the law if you, if you went beyond 40 stripes. That's 40 lashes of this terrible um, whip kind of thing. You can imagine it's called the cat of nine tails. It was made up of uh, different pieces of leather plaited together with bits of bone and metal and the these Roman soldiers were extremely expert when they gave the lash across the back uh, they were extremely expert at twisting and pulling it so that it not only ripped up the the top layer of skin but with every lash it went deeper and deeper and deeper and uh, because there was a danger that if you broke the law uh, and maybe went, maybe didn't count them right and, and, and give 41 stripes instead of 40, it was a kind of a common thing that, that they gave the prisoner uh, uh, 39 stripes was what was, what was custom. Uh, there's a, in, in the house of Caiaphas the high priest, you can see a little place it's, 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 it's marked off, but you can see this is not a Roman scourging place, but obviously it was something the Jewish people did to punish prisoners as well. And you can see there where they would have uh, handcuffed, tied the arms of the prisoner and made him stoop over. And there's a place there, a little hole. Do you know what that little hole is for? To put salt in there, that they would put salt on top of the wound. I, I, in some ways, I want to shock you this morning with what Jesus suffered because sometimes we speak about this in such an easy manner that he went to the cross you know i want my heart to be i want the love in my heart to be turned up i want to see you uh, having a fresh glimpse as to how much jesus loved you and to the lengths that jesus went to because of his love for you and so as they, they, they customarily stripped the prisoner, 
put his hands together and tied his hands behind his back, I believe, and they started to lash across his back. I believe, I'm not sure if this is entirely true, but I read somewhere that they had particular places to put the lash so that it went round, cut across every part of the body. And some of the uh, historians talked about it being a hideous torture where, uh, where they began to, um, to use these leather thongs with these small pointed bones and bits of metal. And, and historians say, record, that some of the prisoners would sink to the ground with, with, with screams where the, the, and even convulsive, convulsive leaps and distortions as their body was so broken and so ripped up that they would become unrecognisable. One of the historians says that even the veins were laid bare, that the inner muscles and sinews were laid bare, and that in some cases that it was even possible to see that their bowels was exposed. I want to shock you this morning with the horror of what happened before Jesus even got to the cross. It just simply says, Pilate ordered for him to be scourged, this was the scourging. This is what happened. And you know what, what blesses me so much? That the prophets had written about this. Not knowing what was going to happen, that the prophets had written, where prophetically speaking, the Messiah said, I gave my back to those who struck me and my cheeks to those who plucked off the, board, the, the beard. I did not hide my face from shame and spitting. Isaiah 50 and verse 6 says that I gave my back to those who struck me. And it tells us in Isaiah 52 verse 14 that people, this is prophetically speaking about Jesus, that his, his visage or his appearance was so marred, was so horrible, was so, uh, so horrendous. It says it was so marred, his visage was so marred more than any man's. This is written hundreds of years before about the suffering of Jesus. And so Pilate, Pilate has had him scourged and this, the, pilots, the, 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 the soldiers are, are mocking him and they're saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and they struck him with their hands. Matthew 27 gives us even more information. It says that they put a scarlet robe on him and they twisted a crown of thorns and they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand and they bowed the knee before him and they mocked him saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spat on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they took the robe off him. If you read Luke's Gospel, you'll see there's more. We haven't time to read all the other accounts. But, but Pilate, Pilate was still trying he was still anxious and trying to, to, to stop them crucifying Jesus because he knew there was, that there was no fault in this man. Jesus was innocent. He was a, not just an innocent man, but he was pure and undefiled. He was separate from sinners, the Bible tells us. And it says that Jesus came out, verse, verse 5, John chapter 19, then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to him, Behold the man. You know, there's a place in Jerusalem, you can go to this site of the fortress of Antonio, and you can, you can go down to the pavement, and you can see the marks on the old original pavement where the, 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 the soldiers played a game called the King's Game. You can see that where the circle was made where they threw the dice and you can see it's there today, and, and we go there every time that we go to Jerusalem. And you know, as you sit there and sense that somewhere around that area that the soldiers mocked Jesus and spat on him and plucked, in other of the Gospels it says they plucked the, the beard from his face. That's the most disgraceful thing that could happen to a Jewish man. How humiliating, but how painful as well. And when you think of all of this horror and think of this happening and then they led him outside and you know just outside as he begins his, his, to make his way towards Golgotha, there's a place there and it's, it's called the Eki Homo March, Latin for behold the man, where Pilate presented him to the mob and said behold the man. You see 
these people were determined. They were determined that he was going to be crucified. It says, verse 5, John 19, Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said to them, Behold the man. Therefore, when the chief priests and officers saw Jesus, they cried out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, You take him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. This is the third time that Pilate has publicly said, I find no fault in him. The Jews answered, We have a law, and according to our law, he ought to die, because he made himself the Son of God. Therefore, when Pilate heard that saying, he was the more afraid. And he went back into the praetorium and said to Jesus, Where are you from? Can you just picture this? Can you just picture, Pilate is new to all of this. He hasn't heard much about Jesus. He's just, you know, he's just beginning to learn that these Jews have something against this particular man. And then the Jews are saying, this man made himself the son of God. Can't you just imagine Pilate going in and saying, where are you from? What's your origin? Pilate's beginning to get afraid. The fear of God is beginning to, to grip him. But Jesus gave him no answer. Where did he come from? Well, he was the Alpha and the Omega. He was the one without beginning and without end. King of kings and Lord of lords, that's where he came from. John wrote in his gospel in chapter 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was the Word of God. He was God himself in flesh. And Pilate, this mere man, is asking him, Where did you come from? Who are you? It says, Jesus gave him no answer. You know, this also fulfilled a prophecy in, in Isaiah's um, prophecy, 50, Isaiah 53, where it says that he was led as a lamb to the slaughter, but he opened not his mouth. Scriptures, the word of God, was being fulfilled right under their noses. I want to say to you today that the word of God is being fulfilled even in our world today, that prophecies are being fulfilled quietly, without much fuss. But things are happening in our world today and God's word is being fulfilled. And just as God kept his promise to send his son the first time, I want to tell you he's going to send him back the second time because God keeps his word. Jesus gave him no answer. Then Pilate said to him, are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have power to crucify you and power to release you? Jesus answered, You could have no power at all against me unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. And it says from then on that Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, saying, If you let this man go, you're not Caesar's friend. Whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place that is called the pavement, but in the Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now it was the preparation day of the Passover in about the sixth hour, and he said to the Jews, Behold your king. And they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. Then Pilate delivered him to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus and led him away. Did you notice as I read that, that when Pilate, that when Pilate heard the, the mob shouting, if you, if, if you the, the, the mob was actually saying, if you let this man go, you're not Caesar's friend. Do you see the fear rising up in Pilate? He's, he's, he's just a puppet. He's just under Caesar. Caesar's in Rome. He is all powerful. As far as the Romans were concerned, Caesar was like a god. And so here is Pilate and he's in between. Am I going to be afraid of, of, of Caesar or am I going to be afraid of this man that's presented before me that has claimed to be the son of God? And he's in this position. Which is he going to choose? You know, that's the position we're all in. Nobody, nobody can wash their hands. Pilate, Pilate decided that he would crucify Jesus. He was more afraid of Caesar than he was of Almighty God. You know, there's a lot of people like that in the world today. They have more fear of something or more desire for something, for some pleasure or for something. They're, they're, pulled, they're pulled towards something else 
rather than to choose Jesus Christ. Oh, you know, Fiona sent me a verse yesterday from Matthew 5. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. You know, that's... Pilate obviously was pulled for something else. He wasn't pulled for righteousness. He wasn't. He, he didn't. He didn't desire to know this King of Kings. He didn't want. He did. He, he reckoned that the kingdom of Rome was greater than the kingdom of God. What a choice! And yet, that's the choice that people make today. So many people have no hunger for righteousness. They see righteousness as something that's religious. They don't see righteousness as something that is such a beautiful. Freedom. We were talking, Jerry and Joy and I were talking on Monday about how righteousness and holiness is the greatest life because it's the life full of joy and laughter. Jesus was the happiest man who ever lived. He was, it says that, that, that he was, that, that the oil of joy and happiness was poured over him. He was the most free, perfect man. And that's the kingdom that we're called to come into. The kingdom of freedom and joy. The kingdom where we are part of the, of the body of Christ. Where we are pulled into the Trinity. Where we become one with the God of the universe. Who would choose something like the terrible kingdom of Rome? Or the Caesar that was on the th- ruling at that particular time. Yet poor Pilate. And you know it tells us in Matthew 27. We haven't got time to look it up. But you can read it when you go home. Matthew 27, I've given you the reference that just around that time, Pilate's wife sent him a message. You see, Matthew records that that his wife had a dream. And in the dream, she was warned that that her husband should have nothing to do with Jesus, that that he should not harm this man. And so she warned her husband. But Pilate, Pilate just didn't take, he didn't really understand the challenge. He thought he could just wash his hands. Matthew, Matthew's gospel, maybe we will read a little bit about this. Matthew's gospel tells us that he washed his hands. Chapter 27, I think it's verse 24. When Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, but rather that a tumult was rising, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. You see to it. And all the people answered and said, His blood be on us and on our children. What a terrible, what terrible words for these Jewish leaders. And so Pilate released Barabbas to them. And when they had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Can't you just see the dilemma that Pilate was in? And here he is, and he's handing over, he's handing over God in flesh to these men that they would take him away. And it says in John chapter 19, verse 17, let's just read these few verses. And he, Jesus, bearing his cross, went out to a place called the place of the skull, which is called in Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him and two others with him, one on either side and Jesus in the center. Now Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross and the writing was Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Then many of the Jews read this, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew and Greek and Latin. Therefore the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but write, He said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and and made four parts to each soldier, soldier apart, and also a tunic. Now the tunic was without seam, woven from the top, in one piece then they said let therefore among then they said among themselves let us not tear it but cast lots for it whose it shall be that the scriptures might be fulfilled they divided my garment among them and my clothing they and for my clothing they cast lots and so they took him out and they brought him to this place we haven't time to go into it the other gospels give us more, more information he goes out carrying his cross and they take him on the way. You can read. I think it's chapter. I think it's Matthew twenty-seven. It says that the cross was so heavy. Maybe it's Luke twenty-three. But it tells us that the cross was so heavy. Can you imagine this bleeding back? This back that had been opened up. You know, Mel Gibson's film that shocked the world was nothing. Really, that was nothing. That did not depict 
what scourging was like and what Jesus would have looked like. His visage, apparently they, they also would have scourged the, the last, the front of the body as well as the back. And so he was, his visage, it says, was so marred. He was unrecognisable as a human being. That's what Isaiah's prophecy foretold. And so they brought him, and you, can you imagine, he, he, he couldn't carry it. Apparently it was a crossbar. The, the crossbar, this part of the cross, was what the criminal carried to the cross. And then they had a, the, 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 the bit that was in the ground, they put it on the top. Can you imagine as they, as they nailed his hands and his feet, apparently they would have nailed excruciating pain through every nerve in the body. It would seem it would have been through the wrists that they, that they, uh, that they crucified Jesus. Nails, they say, that would have been six to eight inches long. And how they nailed him on the cross and then put one foot on top of the other and nailed his feet together on the cross. Can you imagine the excruciating pain as Jesus, as Jesus dies on this cross, as he hangs there with a thief on either side? You know, Isaiah's prophecy, Isaiah 53, prophetically said that he, that he would make his grave with the wicked. Yes, he fulfilled even that prophecy. He had a, a, a thief on either side. And, and this title across Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. And then more scriptures fulfilled. God's word is fulfilled because these soldiers, not knowing what they're doing, they're sitting down around the cross and they start to, they start to gamble for his clothing. They didn't know that, I, that Psalm 22 had been written hundreds of years before that they, would, that they, would, um, that they parted their, his garments among them, that they divided his garments and that they cast lots for his inner garment. They didn't know that Psalm that Psalm 23 had said that. You see, God fulfills his word, and God's a God of detail. And details were being fulfilled around the cross, and nobody was taking any attention. John's Gospel doesn't go into, doesn't tell us about how there was a darkness over the land for, for the, during the time, the three hours. He doesn't record how Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? John doesn't record that the veil of the temple was rent in two. Remember that the temple was where the high priest could only go in once a year. Only the high priest and he had to go in with the blood of an animal. John doesn't record that that was rent from the top to the bottom, signifying that the way was now opened into God himself. And John doesn't record that many graves were opened. We'll maybe look at that next time we're here in the new year, God willing. He doesn't record all of these things, but let's just read on because he does record some very important things. It says, sorry, I just turned to the wrong page. We're still in chapter 19. Let's just look at verse 25. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother, and his mother's sister, and Mary the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple, this is John, who wrote this gospel, took Mary to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop and put it to his mouth. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. You know, as a little boy, Jesus would probably have learned off by heart Psalm 31 verse 5. Most Jewish little boys learnt this psalm off by heart. And one of the verses says, Into thy hands I commit my spirit. Imagine as a little boy he learned that. But as a man on the cross, he spoke it out. He said, I come into thy hands, Father. I commit my spirit. You know, in John 10, verse 17 to 18, we haven't time to read it today. Jesus said, No man takes my life from me. I lay it down, no man takes it from me. And so Jesus didn't die like the other thieves. The Roman soldiers didn't take his life. With all his suffering and all the loss of blood 
and all of the pain, the excruciating pain, as the nails went into the sinews and as his body was ripped apart for you and for me, for love for you and me. It was Jesus who said, into thy hands, Father, I commit my spirit. You see, it was finished. The work of redemption was finished. You know, as I read about how even in the scourging, how the veins were laid bare and even muscles and sinews, and I tried to picture this. Do you know what struck me? This is an awfully, it's a, it's a, it's a hideous picture to think of, of a human being being treated like that. But you know what? It's a picture of sin. It's a picture of the hideousness of sin. You know, see, Satan tries to put a veneer on sin and make it look cool and nice and, you know, um, drinking and you're silly or drugging yourself or, or, or all kinds of violence or sexual sin or all of this stuff. He tries to put a veneer on it that's cool and it's good, but it's not. It just leads to pain. It leads to a mess. And when you see people who go after those things instead of after God, you see a mess. And this is the, the mess of sin. And this is the message that we have for you today, that Jesus came to enter into our mess, to take our pain on himself and to pay the price of sin. God's a just God. God couldn't just say, oh, it's okay, we'll forget about it. It has to be dealt with. The, the sin question had to be dealt with legally if we were ever going to be able to share with the, with, with the King of Kings in heaven, with, in the new kingdom, if ever we're to be part of the new kingdom, it had to be dealt with legally. And so all of these things were being fulfilled. And then it tells us in John, uh, before I get on to that, I just have to say this, I know our time's, time's going. Can you imagine Mary, the mother of Jesus, standing beside the cross, can you imagine what her heart was like? No wonder after he was born, you remember the beautiful song and, and talked about how a sword would go through her heart. Can you imagine this boy that she had raised? This child that she had realized was like no other child. This child who had never reviled against her, who she could see from he was a baby on her, on her breast that he was perfect and harmless and undefiled. Can you imagine the love that she had for this firstborn son that she knew that God had given to her, who was the son of God? Can you imagine her pain as she stood beside his cross? And as I think of this, and I, I think of Jesus suffering, oops, sorry, suffering in all his agony, and yet he thinks about his mother and he turns and he says to John the Apostle, behold your mother. And he turns to his mother and he says, behold your son. He's putting the care of his mother into John's hands. And of course we know that John took her and she lived with him until she died. What an amazing, what an amazing picture of the love of God. Never doubt that God loves you. Never doubt that God will prepare for you and look after you. Never doubt that he will protect you. Never doubt his goodness. He's a good, good God. And so it says in verse 31, therefore because it was the preparation day that the body should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken, that they may be taken away. Then the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who was crucified with them. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and immediately blood and water came out. And he who has seen this has testified and his testimony is true. And he knows that he is telling the truth to you that you may believe. For these things were done that the scripture should be fulfilled. Not one of his bones shall be broken. And again, another scripture says they shall look on him whom they have pierced. These soldiers came to break the legs of Jesus. They didn't know that when, when they decided, well, he's dead, so we needn't break his legs, that they were fulfilling the scripture, that, that not one bone of him would be broken. That's what, that's what the scripture said. That's what the, the command was for the Passover lamb. It had to be perfect without blemish and no bone to be broken. They didn't know they were fulfilling God's word. And then when one particular uh, soldier randomly decided, well, I'll just... There must have been a bit of aggression 
and violence in him and he just took his sword and pierced his side. Little did he know that he was fulfilling the word of God. He was fulfilling the prophecy that he would be pierced. You see, Zechariah's prophecy says that when he comes back to his own people, to the Jewish people, that they will look on him whom they have pierced. Zechariah's prophecy. That's still to be fulfilled. But he's already pierced. And it says that when the Jewish people realized that, that, that this really was their Messiah, that on a coming day, maybe not too far away, that this prophecy will be fulfilled in Zechariah 12, that they will mourn. It says that the Jewish people will mourn the house of David. They will mourn every house apart when they realize that they have, it says they'll grieve and they'll mourn. They'll realize that they, they've crucified their Messiah when they see the one whom they've pierced. See, God's word was fulfilled. He was with the wicked in his death. But you know what? Let's read on. After this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took the body of Jesus, and Nicodemus, who at first came to Jesus by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds. Then they took the body of Jesus and bound it in, in strips of linen with the spices as the custom of the Jews is to bury. Now in the place where he was crucified there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So there they laid Jesus because of the Jews' preparation day for the tomb. Listen, the tomb was nearby. Now I want to say this really, really quickly. There's so much uh, that I wanted to say in this, I haven't time to do it all. All of these things were written. It, John, as an old man, wrote 1 John 1, verses 1 to 10. He said, these things were written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that you may believe that you have life in his name. That's, that's John 20. But John, um, I just want to look this up because I really want to read this to you. This is John as an old man. That which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, this is Jesus, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life, that's Jesus. The life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was shown to us, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you, that your joy may be full. We've been talking about joy over recent times. Both of these men, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, they were both members of the Sanhedrin. They were both rich men. And they came to the tomb and they fulfilled the Old Testament scripture in Isaiah 53 that he would be with the rich in his death. He was buried in a rich man's grave. I just love that God keeps his word. You know, many years ago, and with this I'm going to finish, many years ago, and it is many years ago, I was in my 20s, the first time that I went to, to Israel. I remember we went to stay in Jerusalem, and we were in a hotel that was quite close to what's now known as the Garden Tomb. And I remember hearing the story about how this was found. Now, I know that lots of people believe that the Church of the Holy Sepulchre is the traditional site, and uh, I'm not going to argue that point. But in my heart, I personally believe that God kept the garden tomb and covered it for such a time. A man called General, I'm going to tell you this really quickly, a man called General Gordon who had fought in the Crimean War, he went to, on a pilgrimage to Israel in 1883. He was in his hotel and he wasn't satisfied that the Church of the Holy Sepulchre was, the, was the, the, the true site of where Jesus was crucified. And one day looking out of his hotel window, he noticed that there was some rough looking part of a rock that looked like it maybe could be excavated and it looked like it was very rugged. And they did excavations, and they, when they went down, they discovered that the face of this rock resembled a skull. Now, if you go there today, you'll see that it's not as quite as clear nowadays because there was a, a thunderstorm some years ago, and it, it took off some of the rock. But when General Gordon saw it, it looked like the face of a skull. 
And when they excavated further, they found just round the corner, they found a garden. They found that there was a, a wine press and a number of other things that proved that it was a garden. And in the garden was a tomb, and the tomb was empty. And this man, General Gordon, uh, he, and some, he was a believer, obviously, General Charles Gordon, and he and some others set up a, they, uh, they set up a, an association of the garden tomb that it would always be in the hands of believers. And people go there today. So the first time that I went in my 20s, I remember going, and I remember we hadn't been in the garden. We hadn't got the length of the garden. And we were walking up the street, and we were with the late Hedley Murphy. And I remember Hedley saying, this is where, there, there's, the, there's the Golgotha. And there's a bus stop on the bottom on the ground, on the bottom of the, where Golgotha was, if we believe this to be the site, which I do. And I'll never forget, as a, a girl in my 20s, and stopping and looking across at all this hustle and bustle of the bus stop and everybody coming and going past and no remarks on this place of the skull. And I remember as this young woman standing and I honestly wept. I was so full of emotion because as, a, as an eight-year-old child, I had asked Jesus into my heart and believed that he died on the cross for my sins and to see the place as a 20-year-old, it took my breath away. I'll never forget it. I would love today that you could get a fresh look at how much God loves you. God's your father, and he loves you the best father you'll ever have. He sent his son, for God so loved the world that he gave his only beloved son, that whosoever believes on him should not perish but have everlasting life. But listen, girls, this is so important. Jesus is your bridegroom. John the Baptist described him as the bridegroom. And he did all of this for you, his bride. And you know what? The book of Revelation written by John, who wrote John's gospel, it's full of pictures of the bridegroom. And he's coming back. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what the book of Revelation about is about seeing Jesus. I want to tell you he's coming back. And he's coming back for you. He's coming back for his bride. And I would love that over these next weeks, that while we're separated from each other and we can't meet together, I would love that you would read on and read through the end of the book of John. Read about the garden experience of Mary. Read about God's encounter with Peter in John chapter 21. Read it and, and read as much as you can of the Word of God and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you what he's saying in his Word. And you know what? Your lives can be transformed. You don't need me here, really, to be expounding the Word. You can, you can actually experience God's Word thrilling your heart on your own, even two or three of you getting together. Why not go after him? Why not have passion for him? You know, this is, a, this is a time right now where I believe people are either getting more passionate about Jesus or they're actually losing their passion. And I believe the cross divides us. We need to make a choice. Do we really love him? We need to go after him. We need to, we need to love him more and receive his love more than any other time because he's coming back. And he wants a bride who's totally in love with him and looking for his appearing and ready for him. But this is the, this is the God who gave himself for you. We're going to sing, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, on which the Prince of Glory died. My richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. Bless you today. May you have a great few weeks and a wonderful Christmas and uh, we will hope to return again on the 12th of, of January, God willing. And we will look at, uh, at John chapter uh, 20 and ch 21 in the new year. Bless you, Jesus' name.